this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Father, may we be able to praise you, God. Even before, God, we've seen breakthrough in our life. While we're walking through, God, the seasons that are difficult and challenging, Father, may we trust you. God, you've been good to us before. You'll be good to us again. God, may we hold on to that hope. May we encourage those around us, Father, who we know are struggling, who are walking through a valley. May we be the hands and feet of Jesus. May we be a community of believers, Father, that is encouraging and spurs one another on in truth and grace. God, we pray that as we open your word this morning, God, meet with us, change our hearts, Father. We love you. Let's turn in, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 12. We're going to work through the whole chapter. And as you turn there, I just want to welcome my grandparents, my daddy Carl and Mimi, as uh, my kids would know them. I know her as Nana, but this is my grandfather and grandma in from West Monroe, Louisiana. Yeah. What a blessing it is to have them in, uh, in today's world and uh, just being able to travel to Maryland is a super, super big blessing to me and to my life. And um, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of what you realize as you get older is your parents aren't that crazy um, and that they've already realized that their parents weren't that crazy. And so now at this point, I just get to say, man, my grandparents are awesome. So it's just been a long journey of that and um, have a great love and respect for them. I uh, feel like I stand on the shoulders of giants, uh, if you will. <clears throat> All right, Acts 12. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church, and he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that he ple it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. So I want to note down a couple points here real quick. Herod was not the same Herod that we saw in the Gospels. This is Herod Agrippa. And if you'll remember in the Gospels, there was King Herod at that time. They called Herod the Great. He was the one who killed children at the time of Jesus to try to get rid of Jesus, to try to eliminate this new Messiah. That's Herod the Great. This is Herod Agrippa. It's his grandson. Herod Agrippa was raised in Rome, so his family sent him off to Rome to be raised in a school that would allow him to be prestigious, sort of like his grandfather. At that time in his school, there was another man named Claudius. He would become emperor Claudius. So if you backed up a couple verses from where we are now, you would see a time stamp there of during the reign of Claudius. So we see that at the same time as Herod Agrippa is persecuting the church, Claudius is in reign. 
They too were raised in the same education system, were friends, and in fact, Claudius uh, raised up Herod Agrippa into the place where he was. He gave him a vast amount of territory to rule over. And so when we get to this passage, you see sort of a teamwork happening to eliminate the church. Now, the method to persecute the church is different for some Uh, they would go to house to house and find the Christians and persecute them or kill them. For Herod Agrippa, what he did was he was trying to do that sort of cut the head off of the snake and you'll kill the whole snake. He was going for the leaders. So first, as you see in the text, he went for James. Then he's going to go to Peter. So he's, he's trying to attack the key leaders in the church. So one first lesson, if you're looking for leadership in church, be ready for attack. I think it's a status and a place, a role where you're putting your head above the surface, you're coming above the fray, and you're placing yourself in a position of being attacked by Satan and those who would bring about evil into this world. And so we see just right from the start that Herod wants to stop the church, and he starts with James, not with Peter. Now, most likely the case for this, the reason why he did that, was because James was not the more vocal of the two. Peter was sort of outspoken, natural-born leader of the church. Jesus initiated him into that role. So Peter was kind of overseeing the church and sort of stepping up as that leader. James, brother of John, not James, brother of Jesus, is the one that King Herod uh, Agrippa kills first. Why? Because he wanted to check and see if the people would be for him or against him doing this. He was essentially a people pleaser. He did something significant to please the people, and the people were pleased with it. And because they were pleased with it, he's like, okay, that worked. I killed James. Now I'm going to move to Peter. So he arrests Peter during the Passover feast. Well, during the Passover feast, they don't typically kill people. uh, So they're going to wait until after. So Peter is put into prison. He's going to wait there with four squads of four soldiers to guard him. They're going to wait till after Passover, and then hopefully at that time for King Herod Agrippa, he's thinking he's going to wipe out Peter and ultimately end this uh, uprising of Christians. I want you to note down something here. This passage, this story right here, first begins with King Herod attacking some who belong to the church. And what is the church doing? Praying. All right, King Herod attacks the church. What's the church doing? Praying. Let's move to verse 6. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. All right, so here's the scenario we have here. King uh, Herod Agrippa is trying to stop the, uh, Peter from escaping prison. Now, as you know, Peter's already escaped prison before. So it's not like this would be anything crazy, right? So he's got a, a significant amount of guards around him. In fact, two would surround him while he sleeps. Now, I want you to pause and think about this. Peter is sleeping. It would be the next day that Herod Agrippa would come and get him, put him on trial, and execute him, most likely the same way that he did James, by beheading him. So we see this. Peter is sleeping in preparation for being killed. And I want to ask you, in your life right now, where you are, with whatever temptation, suffering, struggle, whether you're in the valley or on the mountain, no matter where you are, are you at a place where you could say, man, I'm not, I'm not biting my fingernails in panic. I'm resting. 
And look, maybe this is more for me than for you, but I think what we have to see in these moments is that when we have a hope and a trust and a faith in God, we can live courageously knowing that our God is overcoming whatever we may face. Peter is able to sleep, not because of his strength against Herod, because Herod and the Jews are stronger than Peter. Like, we have to agree with that. Herod, the, the king who's over this all, the Jews, who were, there were a significantly more amount of them than the Christians, are coming against Peter. Peter's up against the both of them, and he's sleeping. In your life, you may be up against your greatest battles, your most difficult seasons. You may be in the valley of valleys. You may feel like you have a temptation that you cannot overcome. But like Peter, rest, because your God can overcome anything. That is what it looks like to live with courage, facing whatever tomorrow brings because you know that your God is with you. Verse 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, and here's our phrase, right? Our Acts phrase, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know what the angel did, uh, that what the angel did was really happening, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Anybody in this room feel like Peter sometimes? Like, around you, you're like, God, man, I am in this situation where I'm in prison, and there's no freedom here, and God, it's all up to you because I can't overcome this. There's guards surrounding me. Like, you feel like everything around you is just turmoil or storms around you, temptation, struggle around you, and you're like, God, I don't know how I can get out of this mess. And then all of a sudden, you're like, you, you're getting up, you're getting dressed, you're walking, and you're like, okay. Things are happening, and I, I, I like seriously. I've been here. I don't know if you have. You're like looking around. You're like, "Am I doing this? Like, is this my effort? Is it me getting up? Is it me walking? Is it me going past the guards? Do they not just see me? What is happening?" And Peter's just like sort of just doesn't understand. Like, is this a work of God? And then you may be in your life going like, "I see God moving around me, but I don't exactly know what's taking place. I can't exactly." explain it. But there's an angel poking me, telling me to get up, putting on my clothes, and I'm walking out this door, and I don't know what's happening, but something is happening because God is moving around you. Verse 10, after they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. And Y'all, just quick note, it's not until the angel left him that he recognizes where he's at. Sometimes you may be in your journey with Christ as he's leading you out of these places, and you're like, man, I, I see things happening around me. I don't exactly know. I can't attribute it to God. I'm just, I feel like it's me. I feel like I'm working and all these different things taking place. And I'm not saying that's necessarily where Peter was, but when I see him, I'm like, man, I, I get it. I feel with you, Peter. Like, I see what's taking place. And I understand. And then you get to this place where angel departs from him. And look at what the next thing happens is. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angels and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. I mean, after all of those things take place, he's like, oh, the angel's gone. Now I get it. Right? Like, what does it take for us as humans to go, Oh, God really is working around me. 
He really is moving in my life. It wasn't the fact that an angel poked Peter. It wasn't the fact that he was speaking to him in front of the guards. It wasn't the fact that he walked by the guards. It wasn't the fact that the door swung open for him before there were mechanical doors. It wasn't all of these different things. What was it? Angel of the Lord departs from him. He looks around. He's like, how did I get here? And man, I, I hope that sometimes in your life, you're so prayed up, you're so following after the Lord that you're just like taking step by step. And then all of a sudden you get to some place and you're like, man, the Lord literally just brought me here. I don't even know how I'm here. Anybody ever driving down the road? Ooh, I don't want to tell you this yet. Should I tell you this? <laughs> uh, anyways, don't drive around me. Um, you're just driving down the road. You're looking and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, how did I get here? Hopefully I didn't like run somebody off the road, but I'm, I'm like here. And you're like, did I stop at every stoplight? It, Y'all with me? Okay. Let's all give each other grace. Honk if you see somebody doing it. But uh, it's sort of that mode where you're just like, God's the one driving. I'm just kind of following along. Like, just take me, God, where you want me to go. But I love what he says. He says, God rescued me from Herod's grasp and from the Jewish expectations. The Jewish expectations were that he'd be killed. Herod's, Herod's grasp was that he had him in prison and he was more powerful than Peter. And y'all remember, Peter alone in a jail cell with guards all around him under Herod's grasp with the Jews wanting them to die is not as strong as your God. That's what Peter recognizes. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. Guys, I don't know if there is a passage that has more communication about the early church than this one, at least how it functioned. Think about this, okay? Peter is in a jail cell. The people are praying for him. He gets out. He knows where to go because he knows what? Where does the church gather? The church gathers at Mary's house. Who's Mary? Mary is the mother of John Mark, who we find from Colossians 3 is the cousin of Barnabas, who travels with Paul. And remember, John Mark, probably the guy that wrote the gospel of Mark, following after Peter, who's in our story here. And so you see all these things coming together. But look, the focus point here is not Peter. It's not even John Mark. Look at what you see here. Mary uses all of her resources that are available to her to benefit the kingdom of God. For the glory of God, the church is meeting at her house. And remember, for her to have such finances and such a house, for her in the city, she had to have had some sort of prominence with this amount of money. I mean, it says she has an outer gate that, that Peter's sitting here knocking on. He couldn't get over it or around it. It's significant and big enough that he can't, can't come through it. Past that is a house that's large enough for the church to gather at. She has a wealth of money and she uses it for the glory of God. But skip forward. Who else do we have? We have Rhoda. Most likely the household slave. It's a, um, a girl who comes to the door. And I want you to notice this. When she comes to the door, she recognizes Peter's voice. Because in the church... There is neither slave nor free. There is neither rich nor poor. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's only Mary who's got money and using it for the glory of God and Rhoda who's using her life for the glory of God. 
And we can see that because of this. She knows Peter's voice. Peter spent time with her. Peter was around her. She didn't see him. She heard him, and she knew that it was Peter. You put a wall in front of me, and you stand in front of that wall, and I stand on this side of that wall, and I listen to your voice, and I might get two of you correct, right? Maybe five, my family, right? Rhoda hears Peter's voice, and she knows that it's Peter because she has had a relationship with one of the most prominent leaders in the church, Mary and Rhoda. The rich and the poor in the kingdom of God are one. That's the church. She goes and reports this. In verse 15, it says, You're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true, and they said, it's his angel. In Jewish theology, the, uh, everyone had a guardian angel who looked exactly like them. But if you'll remember, Rhoda didn't see Peter. She heard him. And so she knows by his voice, not by his sight. So she continues to uh, uh, insist that this is Peter. So verse 16, this is kind of comical too. I think Luke maybe added some comedy in here. Peter, however, kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Now, it's awesome that they were amazed. They're like, man, this is Peter. But I do want you to back up for a second. Peter's a fugitive in Roman eyes. And he's out in the streets at a gate. And he's like, man, I got out of jail. And, I, and, and the angel left. Now I'm at your gate. Would you just please let me in? Right? Like, they're going to take me back. Would you please just let me in? He's sitting there knocking at the door. It's sort of comical to me. But also think about this. Why were they amazed? And why did they doubt that Peter was there? Wasn't the church in both instances praying that the Lord would release Peter out of jail? It says the church was praying fervently for this. And then all of a sudden, Rhoda's like, yeah, he's out there. And it's not like Peter hasn't done this already before, right? And so Rhoda's like, yeah, she's, he's out there. And the church is like, no, 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 no way. And, y'all, I think this shows the humanity of the church. And that I think that we can kind of feel, understand, embrace this sort of struggle interna- internally. Like, man, is this, is this God really able? Can my God really overcome Herod? Can my God really overcome the Jewish expectations? Can my God really break a man free out of jail who's got 16 guards at least surrounding him and that's why the church is amazed because what they had prayed for God did and he overcame so verse 17 motioning to them with his hand to be silent he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison he says tell these things to James and the brothers he said and he left and went to another place I love that about Peter too like Peter you just got out of prison You've, you've been surrounded by Roman guards who surely didn't like him. Herod was about to kill him. He gets out and he's like, okay, let's go to the safe place. I mean, this is like their safe place. Mary's house. It's where the church prays. They've got an outer gate around it. We'll have protection there. Let's just go there. The people love me there. Let's go there. He gets there and he's like, hey, tell James, probably the brother of Jesus here, tell James what happened, the miracle of God, because y'all, y'all's prayers were, were confirmed. God did what you prayed for. Tell James that it actually happened. But as for me, I'm going to go. I'm going to keep on preaching. 
You know what I love about this? God did not free you for you to be stopped. We, are a, we have an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan who's using an unstoppable church, and he's freeing that church to go do what he's called you to do. God did not forgive and free you to sit. He forgave and free, freed you to go. And so just as the angel says, get up, quickly, get up, Peter just gets up and he's faithful to do what God has called him to do. So no matter if you are the person in the house praying or if you are Peter going to spread the gospel, the truth is we must be faithful to whatever God has called us to do because God has overcome our diff most difficult challenges so that we might go and experience that grace as we move forward and help others to overcome what they may be facing today. Brothers and sisters, may we not be freed for no reason. As Paul would say it later in his ministry, you are free. Live in your freedom. Don't return to your slavery, but embrace your freedom. It says in verse um, 18, at daylight there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Verse 20, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembled people began to shout, It's the voice of a God and not of a man. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God flourished and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was also called Mark. I want to give you two main points from here for these people. First thing they would have saw, Herod's word dies, God's word spreads. May you just see that thread coming to this point where you think like Herod's big and bad, like he's over all these things. He stands up to speak in the midst of all this stuff. And the people are like, this is God's word being spoken to us. It's as if it's from a God and not from a man. And immediately God shows up and he's like, oh yeah? Let me show you how quickly his word can be shut down. And immediately, what does it say the next verse? God's word multiplied. We can see the significance here, right? And brothers and sisters, when we speak to our children, when we speak to other brothers and sisters and coworkers and maybe even our parents or those around us, whoever is in our sphere of influence, when we speak our words, remember, they will die. At some point, those words will be forgotten. But the only word that will prevail and endure forever is God's word. May we speak words of eternity and not words that will fall dead into this world. May we speak God's word because it will live forever. If your children, if your brothers and sisters, if your co-workers are not hearing God's word, they are hearing something that too shall pass. Just as Herod's words fell face down dead in front of the, this angel of the Lord. So what do you speak? What do you preach? Whose word do you share to those around you? The second thing I want you to see when we study God's word, we want to look at repetition. 
when Luke presents this passage to us, I was struggling. I was trying to figure out, you can ask my wife, I was trying to figure out the meaning of this text and working through it. And all of a sudden I was like, there it is. She's like, what? And I was like, I think I just found the meaning of the text. (laughs) It was just an exciting moment. I love these moments. But I was looking at repetition and notice every story here begins with King Herod. So go back with me to verse 1. King Herod attacked who? Some who belonged to the church, specifically James and Peter. What is the church doing at that time? What's the church doing again? Pray. Next, it says King Herod is going to get Peter and he's going to kill him. And what is the church doing? Praying at Mary's house, right? The next uh, story we see, King Herod is against, again against, who? Tyre and Sidon. So what's the next words we see? Not prayer. King Herod's words. You see, because the people of God are going to the God whom they know is strong. The people who are with Herod are going to Herod, whom they think is strong. So they put their trust in someone. You will put your trust in someone or something. Whether it's you or someone else, we as humans tend to put ourselves in a place where we trust something. I believe that this can help me. I believe this will save me. I will believe that this will free me. I believe something. And I'm challenging you this morning to put your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus Christ alone. Because the church said, if Herod's going to attack us, we're going to go to our God. If Herod's going to attack Peter, we're going to go to our God. And the people who are around Herod said, we're going to go to our Herod. And what happened? Herod struck down. Herod struck down. In their, in, their, in their presence, God's word prevails. Herod's word doesn't. And what we see is, church, we got to be a people who are calling upon God and not calling upon man. I believe that's exactly what Luke wants us to see from this text. Church, pray fervently. Whatever season you're in, whatever struggle you're facing, no matter what you see before you, whether you're like Peter in a jail. Like there's literally, I don't think there's any situation we can almost be in a worse position than in the morning you're going to be executed, right? That's almost one of the worst. I I don't know what situation you're in today, but that's a pretty bad situation. And there's Peter sleeping because he has a complete hope and trust that God is going to take care of him. So I hope that we, this week, this is my challenge to you, this week, that you will identify one thing one thing that you need God to overcome in your life and that you will pray fervently. And man, if you're in a D group or a life group or you have a community of people around you or in this church, if you can communicate it out to them, you bring others around you like Mary's house full of Christians, others around you to pray for you and we pray fervently that God will overcome that in your life. Now back up with me because this is a struggle in this passage. I, I wrestled with, and I want to I let you wrestle with me. The worship team can come forward. We're going to uh, worship one last song, and you guys are going to have time to reflect on this. But will you back up with me for a second? God overcame Peter's struggle. But what about James? James, the brother of John, is executed. And we look at that situation, and I'm, I mean, I have to ask the question, wait, wait God... What about James? You overcame for Peter, but what about James? Was your faithfulness not for James too? And I constantly go back to this truth, man. God has a plan for you. 
If you are breathing today, God has a plan for you. And I remember, and I have to constantly reflect on this too, y'all. Even in our death, God is faithful. Because he sent his son to overcome not just what we face in this world, but also what we face in death. So that when we die, we'll be raised from the dead and live with God for eternity. So when we look at James, we don't go, man, he was defeated. We look at James and go, man, he was victorious. Not because of his own victory, but because of God's victory. It brings glory to God to know that James, he didn't end there. That wasn't the end for him. He wasn't defeated. There wasn't a loss. And it wouldn't have been a loss if Peter died. But God had a plan for him. And man, this year you faced loss. You've seen people around you who you love pass away. And you will see it continually throughout your life. And you will ask the same question that many of us ask. Why, God, would you allow this to happen? And I will constantly point you back to this truth. Because when God saw before time began that we would make decisions that would lead to our own death, he didn't choose to just allow us to die and to rot. He came in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, to die so that you wouldn't live in death for eternity, but that you might have life. That's a victory. That's overcoming. Death is not our defeat when we have Jesus Christ on our side. Death is not our defeat. But if you have breath today, then your victory is doing exactly what God has called you to do. Whether you die or whether you live, as Paul would say it, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because in our life, there is victory. And in our death, there is victory. Because we have a God who is stronger than Herod. And we have a God who is stronger than the Jewish expectations. My God will overcome. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to understand more clearly this morning what we are facing before us, the temptation, the struggle, the storm around us, the frustrations within us. Father, would you help us to more clearly understand what we are facing today so that we might put it in front of you and give it all to you, God. Like Peter in a cell when his church is praying for him, Father, may we pray that you would be the God who would overcome our situation. Lead us out of prison even when we don't know what's happening, even when we can't do it ourselves. We need to be woke up, dressed up, and walked out. God, lead us. We need you to guide us. We, can't, we don't even know where to go, and we don't even know how we get there. All we know is you're the one leading. So, Father, if we have breath on this earth, would you use it for your glory? We'll trust you with everything. When we're in the prison, we'll trust you. When we don't know where we're going with our life, we'll trust you. Like Peter, God, give us the same trust and the same faith and the same hope to know that you are the God who overcomes even when we struggle. God, help our unbelief. Make us believers. Even when we feel like we can't trust you. Even when we feel like the world is all caving in. Even when we feel like everyone is against us. Show us that you are for us. And we'll trust you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.
there, you're going to a world that doesn't know they can overcome through Jesus, and you're going to tell them they can overcome through Jesus. Take this message, whether it applied to your life or to someone else, go preach this. If you feel like today you believe that God overcomes, man, praise God, amen. But if you need uh, to take this message to someone else, I pray that you will use this with clear articulation to go preach this outside these walls. If you need to talk to somebody, I'm going to be outside the Discipleship Hub. I'd love to talk to you. Our prayer team is around as well. You can pray with them. Also, uh, if you're not in a D group or life group, that's where we want you to be discussing these things as God works in your life. Talk about these next steps. Talk about what you're struggling with going through and the victories that God is doing in your life, in your D groups and life groups. We'll see you next week. We hope you have a great week. have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.